Hello, and welcome to another episode of Emma and Rebecca Talk IP, a series where we take a look at something that has caught our attention in the world of intellectual property and try to unravel what's really going on. My name is Emma Isles. And I'm Rebecca Gay. This week on the podcast, we're looking at trademarks that are a little bit unusual. So we're talking colours, shapes, sounds, and even scents. Now, Emma, on our last podcast, we were talking all things Barbie, and we spoke about the successful use of the colour pink by Mattel, even though it doesn't actually have a trademark registration for that colour. And this episode is also talking about pink, uh, not because of Barbie, but because it's been inspired by the health, beauty and pharmacy chain Priceline and its signature pink colour. That's right, Rebecca. A few months ago, Priceline joined the likes of Tiffany's, Cadbury and Australia Post in successfully securing Australian trademark protection for its signature colour. Now, as listeners of our podcast would know, a trademark is any sign that's used to distinguish the unique goods, products or services of one trader from those of others. And of course, we're all familiar with trademarked brands names like Barbie or Disney, McDonald's, Qantas, and we're familiar with the logos that they use, such as the Nike swoosh. But what a lot of people might not know is that you can secure trademark protection for a whole lot more than that. A a trademark can be basically almost any sign used to distinguish goods or services, and it doesn't have to be a word or an image. So in Priceline's case, it was the color pink, or more specifically, Pantone Process Magenta C, which as it turns out is quite close to Barbie Pink, but not quite. So Priceline was seeking registration in relation to retail services for health, hygiene, beauty, home and pharmaceutical products, as well as medical services that are provided through pharmacy stores as well as pharmaceutical services. Uh, And its application was for the registration of the particular pink Pantone Process Magenta C as applied to the facade of a shop. And securing that trade protection wasn't a straightforward process for Priceline, was it, Emma? No, it wasn't. But so even though Priceline has been using that particular um, colour pink, which (laughs) the full name, which is quite a mouthful, uh, since way back in 2008, Priceline was initially knocked back when it first tried to register the mark last year. The rejection was on the basis that the mark was not considered to be capable of distinguishing the services of Priceline from those of other traders. This basically means that the colour was not considered distinctive enough to be capable of acting as a trademark. In coming to this decision, IP Australia said that the colour pink was not inherently adapted to distinguish Priceline's goods and services from those of other traders. This was because shades of pink are often used by traders to convey femininity, and in fact, that was one of the main reasons that Priceline chose the colour in the first place. So other other traders targeting that same market would have a legitimate desire and competitive need to also use the colour pink or colours sort of quite similar to that for the same reason. Given the colour had no inherent adaptation to distinguish, IP Australia then went on to consider whether despite that, the colour was still capable of distinguishing Priceline services based on the extent to which it had already been used by Priceline. And despite the pink colour having been used extensively by Priceline, IP Australia was not satisfied that it was capable of distinguishing by the time the mark was applied for, which was back in mid-2019. That's right. So the issue here was that the trademark that had been applied for 
which consisted of the colour pink applied in three specific configurations, had actually only been used at two Priceline stores for just under two years prior to mid-2019. The examiner from IP Australia emphasised that the relevant inquiry was use of the trademark, so the specific configurations, not the general use of the colour pink. Uh, and that meant that the use of the colour pink in relation to different storefront configurations and in other capacities throughout Priceline's business was not relevant to the assessment. Priceline had another go. They filed a new application at a later time in 2023. And when they did that, they were able to successfully show that their pink trademark was uniquely used in a broad range of ways throughout their business, meaning that its use this time around was sufficiently extensive to make it capable of distinguishing Priceline services from other retailers. So that was a great outcome for Priceline. It just required some patience and time to build up that evidence of the use of the colour pink as a trademark. Another company that's had similar issues uh, is Cadbury when it first attempted to register its colour uh, purple as a trademark. Uh, the issue in that case was that purple is a colour that a lot of confectionery traders may want to use in their, in their packaging to indicate the luxury and richness of their products. So like Priceline's pink, it was not inherently adapted to distinguish Cadbury's products from competitors. The key to Cadbury's eventual success in registering the trademark was being able to show its extensive use of the colour purple uh, in the context of certain con chocolate confectionery so that it had acquired distinctiveness. Now, Rebecca, colours, of course, are not the only unusual type of trademark that you can apply for. One type of trademark that's particularly rare are scent marks, so smells. And when I think of scents, my mind goes to perfume, uh, but there are no successful trademark applications for perfume, in fact. Chanel famously failed to register the scent of their iconic Chanel No. 5 fragrance in the UK. That's because in order... Um, to trademark a scent, both in the UK and in Australia, the scent must distinguish the origin of the product. It can't be the product itself. In Australia, there are actually only two registered scent marks. Uh, that's the scent of eucalyptus uh, on golf tees, um, which has been trademarked by a company called E-Concierge, and the scent of cinnamon on non-wood-based furniture, which has been trademarked by um, another company which makes furniture. Cinnamon-scented furniture, that is pretty niche. <laughs> um, movements are also relatively unusual trademarks, uh, although listeners might be interested to know that Toyota has registered trademarks for over 28 different variations of its iconic jumping movement. For example, they've got one of the movement of a man's silhouette jumping in the air with one arm punching the sky, and then a different one for a man's silhouette jumping in the air with one arm punching the sky and the other arm very Australian holding a surfboard. <laughs> um, I'm kind of interested to know what the other 26 registered um, <laughs> movements are, Rebecca, but I think we'll have to leave it there uh, for now or else we could be here for a while. Um, the next one I want to talk about is three-dimensional shapes. So, for example, Toblerone has trademark protection over their classic triangular chocolate bar shapes, and Lint was able to secure protection over the shape of their Easter Bunny chocolates. Now, Emma, when it comes to these types of product shapes, some listeners uh, might be wondering what's the difference between a registered shape mark and a registered design? Yeah, that makes sense. So, of course, there could be overlap between the two. 
Design rights, on the one hand, protect the three-dimensional shape of a product, as well as other aspects potentially of its appearance, such as the colour or pattern, but only if the shape is new and distinctive. Whereas the threshold test for registration of a shape as a trademark is, like other trademarks, whether the mark distinguishes the business's product from the product of other traders. In Australia, there's nothing to prevent registration of a design that also contributes to a product's function. However, a product shape that is functional, in other words, a shape that has a direct relation to the nature or function of a product, cannot be registered as a trademark. Got it. So uh, we've had shapes, movements, scents and colours. The last unusual type of trademark for today is sounds. Yes, then we will have covered the field, I think. So some examples of registered sound trademarks that listeners might recognise are the tune on the McDonald's uh, advertisements, the Nokia ringtone and the tadam sound that the Netflix platform makes when you turn it on. Have a listen next time um, you switch on Netflix. One thing to note about making an application for a sound trademark is that you have to include a graphical representation of the mark as well as a recording of the sound. So that might be a description of the sound or more commonly, if the mark is a tune or a song, the graphical representation might be its musical notation. Now I've got that Netflix ta-da sound <laughs> in my head. Um, so, yeah, that's right. Um, in terms of musical notations, if anyone's interested in the musical score to McDonald's jingle, you can check it out on the IP Australia website. In your spare um, time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the basic issue with all of these less common types of trademarks is uh, the need for them to be able to distinguish goods and services or in other words, the ability of the sounds, the shape, colour or scent to act as a trademark. Unlike word marks or image marks, these other types of marks are less obviously inherently adapted to distinguish, which means to be registrable, there generally must be use of the mark to such an extent that the mark does in fact act as a trademark and identify the origin of the goods or services that are being promoted or sold under the mark. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our episode on more unusual types of trademarks. Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Emma and Rebecca Talk IP. Until next time. In the spirit of reconciliation, Herbert Smith Freehills acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes, please go to our channel on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud and visit our website, herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.